Welcome to the Worship Central Podcast. We are passionate to see the worship and creativity of churches throughout the world set on fire. Join us as we explore what this might look like. Welcome to the November episode of the hey. Worship Central Podcast. I'm here. I'm Anna Hallebrand. I'm here with my husband, Luke. Hello. Uh, Nick Drake Hello. and Tim Hughes. We're sat in Tim's Hello. wonderful abode. And we've got a great uh, episode coming up. We're going to be digging into uh, worship and lament. We've got a song mm. feature with Josh Gorton mm. uh, and a guest interview with Brenton Brown. So really oh. exciting episode coming up. So first up, we've got live chat and we're going to be looking at worship elements. So Dr. Drake, give us a bit of a rundown. What is lament? How does it work in our context of worship, etc.? Brilliant. Yeah, well, lament is, is this term about expressing sorrow. But for Christians, it's, it's not just, I guess, expressing sorrow into a vacuum, but it's sorrow addressed somewhere, i.e. addressed to God. Mm. So... It, it's sorrow and grief, but in a context of of trusting in the presence of God still, mm. um, and therefore in some way holding on, even if it's only only to the hem of His garm, to His goodness. That's good. So, so it's the expression of sorrow, but addressed to God, and still held in some way in a framework of God's goodness or God's uh, presence. I mean, as, just as a human, we, we've all you know, suffered in some way. And, 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 and it's that just emotional state, isn't it? Of, well, I know God is good, but I, I'm scared or I'm, I'm just bewildered. I just don't understand why this is happening. And I don't understand why you don't seem to be answering prayer yeah. that I'm praying. And, and, and I, I just don't understand why things seem shut up and black and dark and, and no answer. And, and I think we've all to different degrees been in those moments those emotional states where you're fighting to keep believing that god has a good plan yeah. for you and and, and that, that he's with you and and for you but when we go to scripture um you find this this thread of like praises interwoven throughout scripture um so this sense of lament this sense of bringing the why before god's presence before his throne is interwoven all throughout scripture. Mm. So obviously the book of Lamentations um, during the exile period, um, but um, all through Job, classic Jeremiah, um, the Psalms, about a third of the Psalms are, are actually lament, yeah. carry this sense of of lament um, in them. Um, one, of, one, one brilliant example, one of my favorite Psalm 77, you know, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. And it continues like that. Like, w- w- will, the, will the Lord's unfailing love vanish forever? Has his promise failed? You know, so mm. these kind of big questions that know that God has established a covenant love with us. And for us as post the cross, obviously then the cross anchors that covenant hope and Mm. love so we know that to be true but it feels like it's failed in this moment it feels like it's ceased it's it feels like that the arm of god that saved god's people through the exodus uh, the power of god is in some way waned or ceased in this moment Mm. and we just don't understand but then 
<clears throat> there's this turn that comes in lament in the Psalms, and it happens in this Psalm where remembrance happens. And you remember what God has done. You remember his goodness in the past and you draw on that and it strengthens you to have fresh perspective on the present. And again, it's a fight to do it, but you see in the Psalms this turn um, the whole time. Um, So it happens in this Psalm. It says, I will remember, verse um, 11 of Psalm 77, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. And then the Psalm ends by actually remembering the key salvation moment up to this point, the Exodus. You know, your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock. And so again, it ends with this idea of God as our shepherd. Mm. Yeah, God is the caring one. God who will reveal himself to go after the one um, in the midst of, of lostness mm. and feeling isolated and out of the fold, mm. um, which lament brings to us, doesn't it? That sense of, well, do I even belong? Is church the place for me? You know, it, I, do I want to be with all the believers mm. right now? <laughs> no, I don't feel I do. And yet it's this sense of God as our shepherd and that he will come and, and, and uh, find us. He won't let us be on our own um, in the midst of despair and darkness. So in summary, I guess lament prayer, for lament and expression of grief in, in Christianity and in, in theology is, is it has this element of God denying almost language, like are you there, Do you, you know, faith testing, but ultimately it is God affirming. It's saying, yes, I still remember your goodness. I still put my trust in you, even though I don't understand. And therefore, it can lead us to greater dependence on him. So, Nick, I'd love to ask, um, I get that within the um, exiles and the Old Testament, a sense of feeling abandoned, where is God, cries of lament, despair, um, sorrow. What, what about in the New Testament, in light of Jesus, you know, has revealed God uh, to humanity or who God is, um, what he's like. Also, this sense of the spirit so that God is always with us um is there examples of lament in the new testament um do we today in the church should we allow lament i feel like some churches would say don't waste time with kind of questions and doubt and sorrow just think about god you know let's claim it let's hold on to the truth you know he's good all the time mm. uh feels mm. like sometimes we struggle to know how to bring this i think very important aspect of worship into our expression of worship? Very good questions, Tim. Thank you, Nick. Um, and, and they bridge the theological and the practical again, so maybe we can move a bit into Guilty. the practical. <laughs> uh, I, I, on the theological and theoretical, I, I, I think you still have, there is this confidence, as I said in the Old Testament, in these Psalms as well, still about who God is, mm. even in the midst of how long will we sing this song? Mm. We still know we're singing the song to God. We still know that, mm. Uh, he is our beginning and he will be the end, that he has a plan for restoration, mm. um, even if we just don't understand why we've been cast out of it in exile. And I think that same confidence is there still in, is there in the New Testament. Mm. Um, you know, the, conf- uh, the book of Revelation, you know, there's this absolute confidence in the midst of uh, Roman, uh, you know, oppressive powers. Mm. Um, and Jesus has this conf- brings this confidence in the midst of oppression to God's people under Rome of the victory is God's, that the, mm. the, 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 in Jesus is his decisive victory, one, mm. in his life and his death and resurrection. 
but that in his coming again, there will be this decisive final victory um, established and manifest across the whole universe. Mm. And so I think there's this element of confidence in lament that's still there. But I mean, I think when it gets to practicalities, it's a really interesting question. What is the theology of the spirit uh, post-Pentecost and how does that affect? um, So Ascension and Pentecost, when you bring those in, how do they affect how we are to worship, how we are to pray, mm. um, how we are to do praise and thanksgiving uh, and, and the sense of victory that you get in uh, primarily in Pentecostal tradition is brought into our tradition. Mm. Um, how does that work and allow space still for, for grieving, for questions, for lament? Yeah. Mm. Um, and authenticity. Really. For authenticity. Yeah. So what do you guys think? Well, I feel like as a, as a worship leader, worship pastor of our church, you know, I want to I want to help people process where they're at, but also kind of take them um, through it towards you know faith and hope and and focusing again on the character of God as well. And I think often that I, I often think of um, the Easter narrative. You know that often in this place of lament and sorrow feels like that Easter Saturday, like. Mm. We've experienced pain and sorrow and and the doubt and the questioning. And I guess the beauty of we know how the story ends. That coming back to that point you made about remembrance, we can remember where things are going. That Jesus rises from the dead, death has no hold, and more than that, there's a new heaven and earth to come where all pain and, and sorrow and suffering will cease. But I think I mean I heard one well known worship leader say that um she she didn't want to focus too much on leading people in lament because she she wanted to i guess the psalm one two one thing of like okay well where when we're struggling where does our help come from comes from the maker of heavens and earth we lift our eyes to the hills and i guess that's one view but i would say you know when when anna and i have been through tough times or whatever for me it's about that remembrance thing, I think coming back to the goodness of God, like I want to be fixed on his character and his nature. And that provides the, the kind of backbone and the stability and the strength and the hope that I need in those times, you know? Yeah. Um, <sighs> it, I, I, that's right. I love um, Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, theologian. Uh, he's written a lot about lament and i love what he talks about and he says in the psalms you see this kind of regular pattern you know you have the people of god the orientation where you kind of discover god his goodness uh, the covenant he makes with his people but then there's a moment where and we've all had it you know disorientation where yeah. suffering kicks in loss of a loved one loss of a job sickness uh, heartbreak and in that moment there's the natural questions of god where are you yeah. what's going on why me yeah and then actually, if you can, as you said, not offer those things to, into a vacuum, but actually towards yeah. God, yeah. that brings you to reorientation, which is actually more powerful. And I think sometimes uh, if a church doesn't have a theology or an ability to cope with suffering, mm. we're going to set up people to fail. And I yeah. feel like actually I've seen this more and more. Um, even think of a friend of mine who recently sort of social media was sort of saying, you know, don't believe in God anymore, um, you know, prayed lots of things, never seen God work, I'm not sure it's r- real, you know, this guy's been in church, leading worship, writing songs, and you have to think, well, 
why has there never been space in that life to just really grapple with pain? Where is God when it hurts? Uh, and actually when we can allow that um, conversation, that journey, um, that experience of worship, it brings us to a deeper understanding of God. And I think a much deeper, richer faith. Yeah. And, I, and I think that, that this era shows us the limitations of songs as well, right? And, and again, obviously, yeah. as worship leaders and people who, that's been a big thing for all of us in some way, we, we can get very focused on, on music and worship through music. But there's a limitation on songs to, to do everything. Yeah. Uh, we can't, songs can't do everything. And that's why it's so important, the other elements of a gathering and mm. the service structure. And we talked about liturgy before, um, but also just community and the things outside of Sunday and the spaces and places where this more uh, nuanced and deeper, mm. sometimes expression of faith that can't be put into a three minute song easily. You mm. know, the song can't have footnotes it can't have, it's not a theology essay that covers some of this complexity. Yeah. And there's this need in our communities to have space as well to do deeper thinking, uh, discuss theological issues like this that give us that space. Mm. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think this is the beauty of the church, you know, and, and in context of thinking about um, worship times and the gathered church versus community, like you've just, like having been through our own loss recently, you know, there's there's nothing worse than when you're in the midst of that pain for someone to go well don't worry it'll be fine you know mm. in in that context but i feel like in in that context of community that is a fantastic place to be able to sit in pain and not need any um you know not need to sort of you know god is greater and he's got great plans for your life but when you come to the gathered expression i feel like that that's the beauty of what we do in worship in the gathered expression yeah. is we're able to lift people's heads. Yeah. And I know for me, like, I, that's, that's what you want as well. When you're, when you're in that, um, when you come to church, you want to, you want to be led to somewhere high, you know, yeah. led yeah. into the presence of God. And so again, I just think that just even thinking really practically, how, how do we get the balance right? You know, it's often one of the, criticisms of worship that we just don't process this well enough and mm. different churches different movements have different expressions but how do we actually get the balance of lament versus you know hope like well i, I think it's a, the right question to be asking I, th I think and probably in our church we for a while have probably lost a bit of that articulation of lament we probably need to think about that um i i like that Brueggemann process of the orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Mm. I think, you know, in our worship, we need to, as people gather in, often people have come, you know, limping into church, pain, challenge, questions. And actually to start by focusing on who God is, what he's done for us is really important. But I think there is space where we can then begin to bring mm. some songs uh, that ask the questions. I, I remember um, a number of years ago, I wrote a song, When the Tears Fall, which came out of some of the pain I was walking through. Um, probably still to this day, it's one of the songs um, that I've had the most feedback mm. around. Yeah. So many emails, conversations. In fact, the, the, uh, my second album was called When Silence Falls, which um, I think probably um, some people probably <laughs> struggled to understand it because uh, it's a bit darker than what I'd done before. But actually, again, to this day, loads of people say, 
I still listen to that yeah. album. It kind of helped me through a really tough time. So I think there is space in our worship. You know, Blessed Be Your Name, I think, mm. did that. Mm. Um, I think uh, Aaron Key song, Sovereign, Sovereign Over, Over Us. Amazing yeah. um, I, I think um, th- there are certain songs that um, are really helping us mm. to be a bit more honest and vulnerable before God. Um, but, but I think when you're leading lament, it's important to also bring it to a space where we remind ourselves the yeah. goodness of God. Yeah. I remember Mike Pilarch and I, we used to do these nights of worship where we'd sing some songs of lament um, and Mike would teach into it a bit. Uh, and then he'd say, look, come to the front if you just want to stand before God in your brokenness and your pain, your unanswered questions. I mean, again, it was always profound and moving how many people came mm. <laughs> to the front. Mm. So many people struggling with pain and they don't know how to deal with it. And church has to be the place where we give people space to process it. And they'd come to the front and we'd just begin to sing and lament. But what was amazing is almost every night we'd then begin to shift gears to who God is, the greatness of God. And actually often they'd end with incredible celebration Hmm. about the goodness of God. And um, it felt so profound because there was no kind of fake you know, jumping and smiling and whooping. It was just so deep, but actually being able to say, God, you're good. I'm going to trust that you're good, even if I don't feel it. Um, they actually felt very significant mm. nights. So I, I think practically we do need to uh, create more space. I think we need to find songs that do that well, uh, but also pastorally we need to bring in mm. a sense of f- the faithfulness mm. of God. Mm. Mm. And I think it's a reminder as well, this topic, to make Jesus central yeah. to our yeah. songs and song selection and yes. songwriting Very all good. the time. Because again, like Jesus is the source and resource for life mm. in, in whatever happens in life. Mm. And, you know, he's the man of sorrows. You know, he mm-hmm. acquainted with grief. Uh, the Garden of Gethsemane story. Mm-hmm. You know, he knows what it is. And mm-hmm. him weeping at Lazarus's mm-hmm. tomb. So again, lead people to Jesus mm. through your song choice, mm. songwriting, and you can't go wrong. Prince of Peace. You can't go wrong if you lead people to Jesus. Yeah. Life is so fragile. Like death is a reality mm. and um, lament is part of being human. And there's not very much, if we're honest, that we can be sure about on this earth. But we have a hope in Jesus that yeah. supersedes mm. everything. And I think this is, again, you know, having just been through a loss this is the it's the thing about lament and being a christian that doesn't quite make sense that you can be in the depths of pain and yet have a hope like it doesn't actually make sense um but that's because of jesus because our hope in jesus supersedes everything so i think like i said it's just so important that we are speaking jesus declaring his truth declaring who he is putting that right at the center of um of people's lives and hearts mm. just one final thing i think arguably lament is the most profound expression of intimacy we can express mm. if i think in my life the people mm. i communicate my deepest darkest fears thoughts mm. wanderings uh are not random people but it's the closest people in my life rachel yeah. my wife that is <laughs> uh, my parents um because there's a safety in that mm. and uh, my dad tells a story of when i was apparently two years old i was really cross with him and i jumped into his arms i started pounding my fists against his chest screaming i hate you i hate you i hate you mm. basically i exhausted myself and fell asleep in his arms mm. and he said that was a, an amazing picture to him of lament mm. actually that as god's children coming before him 
bringing all our questions, all our fears, all our anger, but actually finding ultimately rest in, in the Father's arms, the safety of that. And I love that Zephaniah 3.17 where it says, you know, the Father will, will quiet you with his love. Mm. And I think when we offer our lament, that's the dream and hope mm. that God quiets us with his love, doesn't answer everything, but we find peace in the arms of the Heavenly Father. Yeah. So here's the song feature for this month. It's Perfect Father by Josh Gorton. been uh, just fantastic uh, for our church. Josh has been part of our team and the church for a while and um, this song actually written by him and a guy called Mitch Wong from Australia, brilliant songwriter, um, I think came out of a time of loss uh, for him and um, this song has just been going down so well. I particularly love um, the bridge and it's been a coming off the back of this whole thing around lament, I think it's been a great way to place some of um, the language and the emotion around lament into this uh, place actually Tim where you, you ended up there um, at the end just in terms of that that um, relational dynamic with the father mm. in, in the father's arms and, and this song just captures a beautiful intimacy in the place of pain and sorrow and um, and so we've been loving it we've been um, I think it's been a really um, great way for people to kind of um, express some of what we've been talking about in a way that also feels very intimate with the father and hopeful okay well let's head to our guest interview i had the joy of hanging out with brenton brown uh, the other day who lives in santa monica california we were driving around in his pickup truck he nearly killed me numerous times uh, <laughs> but here we have brenton brown talking about his journey as a worship leader and some of the things he's been thinking about Okay, I'm here in Santa Monica with Brenton Brown. He's driving me. So any uh, horns, police sirens, choice words, uh, you'll all know why. Um, Brenton, good to see you. 
Good to see you too. It feels, it feels like it's a James Corden episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah, not, I'm not quite up there with Mariah Carey or, uh, <laughs> or Elton John. <laughs> but anyway, um, thank you for that. Um, yeah. Brenton, so you are worship pastor in a Vintage Church, Santa Monica. Just tell us a bit about the church, what you're involved in. It's a young church, new church plant, eight years old, uh, started by Gare and Lizzie Jones. She's Australian, he's English. Yeah. Uh, kind of an alpha church with strong ties with HTB, and um, it's going great guns. We've got a, we've got a very interesting and unusual story. Uh, we were gifted a building by... Um, Trinity Baptist, uh, a long-established church in Santa Monica. We were, we were an older church um, with declining numbers, but who still had a vision and a heart for, for mission. So um, they looked around for a church with people and no building and uh, settled on vintage. And so that's kind of the headquarters. And we've got a couple of church plants on the boil, one in West LA, one in Malibu, and another one headed for Pasadena. So, Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Now, Brenton... Um, You've obviously had a pretty full-on year in many ways, understand? You could say that. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think it was back in November, wasn't it? Your house burned down yes. in the, the, the fires. Um, that must be pretty traumatic. Just um, I know lots of people probably were aware of that on Instagram and all that. But um, so what? Just wildfires swept through, burned yeah. everything down. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, I'll, I'll say this, it's a lot more fun as a small group icebreaker than it is in real life. The question of what would you take if your house was burning down? Because we got to do that. Um, so yeah, it's been quite a ride. Uh, we lived there for 13 years. It was a home. Girls haven't known any other home. So um, definitely lost, uh, you know, we had a sense of loss and a lot of grief over it. Um, how... how, how um we were talking earlier about sort of the sovereignty of God and I guess where, where is God in that and you, you were talking about I guess a natural disaster wildfires the kind of brutal kind of just fire sweeping through it doesn't sort of stop for anyone mm. how has that shaped your thinking your understanding of God what have you been thinking about in terms of worship how you connect with God when you've seen something that destructive and you know, you lost your home, but people on your road lost their lives. I mean, it's brutal. Yeah, very heavy. Um, it's hard to convey just how gnarly it is in the face of it. It's just so, it's such a, it's, it's heavy. Um, and when you look at the land, it's destroyed. And you think of these lives destroyed and a lot of families. Like we had friends, we have friends, his, his wife, um, uh, passed away from cancer the year before and had been taken in by another family and their homes were destroyed. Um, so it was like completely dispassionate in, yeah. indifference to the human need. Um, and I had to work through some stuff because I love nature. I love like those little bits in Jonathan Edwards. They're so niche and boutique about finding God and creation. Obviously, cling to the Psalms, you know, the heavens declare and, yeah. um, and had... Uh, I had a lot of like quotes and material that I'd accumulated over the years about um, how the natural world brings us closer to God and um, you know and it is a revelation of who he is and then when you walk through this you're like well if this is a revelation of God and it's so indifferent to human need um, what does that say about God 
So I kind of I had to go back to uh, the beginning, and actually the the right Reverend Bishop Tomlin was involved in it. I sent, sent out a Mayday email to him. <laughs> I was like, man, have I got this all wrong? Because we moved to Malibu. Is this Chris Tomlin or Graham Tomlin? Graham Tomlin, yes. Although both, could have been either. I, I'm sure both could be bishops. Just for those that are, Graham Tomlin is the Bishop of uh, Kensington and um, heads up an amazing theological college called Semilitis, where I studied. I don't know, go on, what did Tomlin say? Yes, so he, every now and again, I throw him a Mayday call and go, what? Um, I was like feeling disillusioned because, you know, uh, this affected the way I understood God and obviously the way we understand God is probably the most important thing we can try to understand. It's the most important um, belief or knowledge that we hold. It affects everything. And if you're a worship leader and you think God is not kind, it's quite difficult mm. to lead worship and to worship Him. Um, so anyway, um, and I'd moved to, I moved to Malibu because I loved it. I love the outdoors. And then suddenly the outdoors were like, oh, this is not good. Um, is God not good? And Graham wrote back and said, yes, we see... Uh, like with the prophets and the Old Testament, we see glimpses of who God is through creation. But the only unequivocal, unambivalent vision of the nature and character of God is found in the face of Jesus. Um, and it brought me right back there. We haven't even we haven't even touched on the providence of God yet. But that um, that was good. That was kind of a dismantling, I guess. That we live in a world. I guess I could go there from here. We live in a world that's. Uh, it's not it's not hell but it's not heaven it hasn't been won it hasn't been conquered it hasn't it hasn't been taken entirely for the kingdom that's why we have work to do and that's what will happen when Jesus comes again so in the meantime we live in this in this place where we we serve a God who's in charge uh, of everything but there are areas where his kingdom hasn't come where he's not in control and nature can be one of those areas just as portions of our heart can be so um, I've kind of leaned deeper into the mystery of of this earth as as not being one completely for the kingdom that there is work to do that we pray your kingdom come it will be done because it isn't here yet in so many places would you say that's rocked your faith deepened your faith i mean do you, do you how does that affect your thought in terms of prayer believing you know god can move and yet seeing this horrific stuff well i i i loved I love the sovereignty of God, the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, and lean heavily on it that God's got this, whatever's yeah, happening, yeah. and he's not surprised. Um, but if you lean so so far on that, um, that you forget the other aspect, that there are portions of this world that are not under the domain or sovereignty of God, uh, you can get a twisted view of God. For a start, it affects your prayer, because why would you pray to a God... Um, Who's already got everything under control? You'd just be like, you know, carry on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as, not, as you were. As you were. I have nothing, I have nothing to add, Lord. But whereas it, if you understand the relationship between humanity and God as a partnership, yeah. where God invites us into a relationship and a partnership with him, where we co-work, we're co as with Jesus, but we're co-workers with him in bringing his rule and reign to earth, then, the, then, then you get closer to, I think, the reality that we've just lived through where there are definitely parts of this life that are messed up and they yeah. need the kingdom of God. Yeah. Um, and that, that's affected me, for well, sure. You, um, lots of people are asked the question around um, how do you lead public worship, congregational worship, when you're going through pretty traumatic things? You know, would, would you get up each Sunday and 
wail through the microphone for <laughs> half an hour. <laughs> so just, don't mind me, guys. You're just you know, lament. <laughs> well, what, I, what did you do? Or did you take a break from leading? What, 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 how did you continue your role as a leader of worship? It was quite a trip, actually, because because um, we were taken in, literally taken in by the church. Yeah. So it was wow. full. It was it was the it was beautiful. It was it was heaven on earth. Really, yeah. we lost the house and we were just welcomed by. They they made an apartment um, available to us. Wow. People had to move out. You know, the people who moved out were making us dinner for the first wow. week every night. So it was, and then it, and I was on schedule for that Sunday, the next Sunday, and it just felt like the most normal thing in the world, just to to get up and and go to church and and sing the truth of God. But um, but there were a lot of things I didn't understand. I mean, there are plenty of things we don't understand, but we kind of reconcile ourselves with the mystery of it. But I mean, I really was tussling through things. Um, I mean, I, I bumped into Brian Dirksen, who was here, and his you know his his uh, passion project is lament in, in the people of God. But I was like, at one point, I was. Um, you know that song Sales by Pat Barrett and Amanda and Stephanie? Um, I was driving back from the fire going, I wish, Jesus, I wish I could see you. Yeah. I, I wish that when you rose again, you, you didn't go to heaven. It would be so much simpler because everyone could go, have you met Jesus? Yeah. Here he is. He's A, he's 2,000 years old. <laughs> Face out. Uh, exactly. <laughs> what did that look like? Yeah, and you can go for coffee with him on Tuesday if you need to. Like, he's right here. So I was having that... Like I want more, uh, I want less mystery, I want more facts, but um, uh, so I was wrestling through that whole thing, yeah. uh, and then the fire then the fire happened, and I was like, man, there re- it really is, there is a lot of mystery in this life. Um, and then didn't, in your rental, you were then hit with floods. Yeah, there were... very uh, Old Testament kind of... Yeah, it was, there were no locusts there. Yeah, there were floods, there were mudslides, and there was an earthquake. So it was, and he was not in any of those. No. <laughs> that is what I learned, man. He's not in any yeah. of that stuff. I'm feeling very nervous being in the car with you. With the, yeah. um, well, it's amazing, amazing, Brenton. Just yeah, sort of figuring that stuff out. Yeah. Where, where, where would you say you're with it now? What? what? Um. I, th- you know, I, th- I, th- I think in the end. The love language of God is faith, hmm. and we might want it to be something else, but that's that's how He receives love from us. It's just it's trust that He's good. That the things there's an old saying like what you've seen in the light, don't doubt in the dark. Hmm. The way He's good to us. Remember those things in the moments where you know darkness seems to hide His face, um, and one day we'll see him face to face and there'll be no need for faith and we won't be able to offer him this this gift like you'd offer to a friend um, and that's and that's where I've landed you know even um, even at the end of a very detailed theology degree or even a doctorate in theology it's not this is not the Masons you don't at the end of it you don't get to meet the grand poo bar there's no like big reveal at the end of a seven year degree or whatever it is okay here's Jesus actually he meets us on day one like he meets us on, you know, on, on your last year of life. Yeah. It's the same. This is how he operates. He is the almighty, invisible God. Um, and this is the way he's chosen to to meet with us. And, and we need to make our peace with that. Sometimes we don't like that. Um, but that's his preference. 
And so until we see him face to face, we have to learn to open our eyes, uh, the eyes of our hearts. And I think, I think that's probably the battle. That's the battle we fight. And as worship leaders, that's, that's what we, we help people do if we're doing our job properly, is we help people open the eyes of their hearts to see who God really is. Um, and, and, he sh- and he's faithful, he shows us. He certainly showed himself to me. There's been great loss and difficulty, but there's also been great blessing and comfort, great nearness of his presence, and just incredible love from his people. So um, he hasn't abandoned the Browns. <laughs> but there'd be moments where I'm like, are you there? Knock, knock. Are you there? Are you in there? Yeah. Hey, well, thank you so much for sharing. Okay, let's take it to the bridge. Every episode, we love to explore songwriting. So here's Nick Herbert with today's inspiration. So today I want to say something about um, the Rubik's Cube of songwriting. And I heard this little phrase from um, an article I was reading by Dave Grohl, um, lead singer of the Foo Fighters. And he said like songwriting is a bit like a Rubik's Cube where you're trying to braid together lyrics and melody that's going to make... Um, a memorable moment, you know, something that lasts four minutes, but it's memorable for the whole of our lifetimes. And I actually think that's a really good way of thinking about songwriting. If you're approaching it today, is it's a bit like, think of it like a Rubik's Cube. Just when you get one side of it right and it feels so right, you turn it around and you realise the other side's completely messed up and it doesn't quite make sense. And I think what that means for us as songwriters is you have to keep... Um, working really hard to try loads of different options until that perfect fit happens, until you get the complete picture. And sometimes when you complete one half of it, like a chorus, and it feels so good, you come back and realise the verse isn't great, uh, and you've got to rewrite that. Then you bump that up a bit, and that, you know, you work on that. That feels really good. Then you realise maybe the chorus needs a bit more work again. And Brian Johnson says this a lot at the moment, and I love this word, to agitate when it comes to songwriting. And that's what this is all about. It's agitation until we get it right. So have that in your mind. It's a bit like a Rubik's Cube. We're trying to make it all fit together and hopefully get the perfect picture at the end of it. Great. Well, that's November's episode. As always, please uh, leave us a rating and check out the show notes that we release as well. We really hope and pray that they're useful for your teams and join us for next month's episode, the Christmas special. 